0: like this and in the stillness of the room just to stand and sing we exalt you, Lord amen to center on that which is uh, the hope and meaning and purpose that we have in life as we look at this simple cross behind us and all it represents we thank God and thank the fellowship of believers here today for the worship Thanks to Kevin and Tyler for leading us in that. For the fellas in the back, Mac and Corey and Mark sharing with us and technology and all the other things that go around, going around the church, behind the scenes, a lot of service going on that we don't always see what the Lord sees. And all that service is going on because of folks who exalt the Lord and lift up their hearts in praise. I'd also like to thank you today, on behalf of my wife, Renee, Uh, we would like to thank you all for the love and kindness that you have shown us over the past few weeks since our marriage. We thank you so much. You've been so kind to us in your expressions of encouragement and love in so many ways. And we just want you to know we love you and we are humbled to be loved by you. And we look forward so much to serving with you in the years to come. And we just want to say thank you today. Well, um, I heard a story not too long ago about uh, a young lady who was engaged to a young man. And uh, she decided to break off the engagement. Now, I'm grateful that Renee never did that, okay? That, that's really good, and I'm thankful for that. But I heard about this young lady, and and, and she, she broke off the engagement to her boyfriend, and she lamented that she had made a mistake, so she wrote a letter. Dearest Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt since breaking our engagement. Please say that you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me, Tommy. I love you, I love you, I love you, and I love you with an exclamation mark. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. and congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) Also heard of a little boy and girl in elementary school. And as they were there in elementary school, first sweethearts there, youngsters, the little girl said to the boy, Jimmy, do you love me? And the boy said, well, Katie, yes, I love you. She said, well, Jimmy, do you love me enough that you would die for me? Jimmy, being very astute, paused for a moment before he responded. And then he finally said, No, Katie, I wouldn't die for you because my love is an undying love for you. (laughs) Love. Perceptions are not always truth, are they? There's a lot of perceptions about love in our world and in our culture. There's plenty said about love in music, in movies, in books. In cards, you'd observe that an overwhelming number of songs from all musical styles have talked about love throughout the ages, that movies since the dawn of filmmaking have been movies that told love stories, there have been themes in novels and books full of love and romance, why we even have a holiday for love every February, and not to forget we also have the Hallmark Channel that we can be a part of to remind us of what love really is. Perceptions about love. And if I brought you as a casual observer that didn't know anything about the truth or not of love, you might look at all that and say, well, this world's an awful loving place to be in from what I observe and what I read. But the reality is different, isn't it? As we go and live in the world and experience the world and experience people and relationships, we know that we only have to open the newspaper or turn on the news or look at the internet every day to remember and to be reminded that this world that we live in isn't so loving after all, and that the love the world espouses often has limits and conditions that cheapen it, and expose it for what it is, and that is counterfeit. Today I'd like to talk to you about love, real love, the real love that God expresses to you and to me, and to see what that love is and how it's expressed. Today we read a classic passage of scripture. Craig's been studying, leading us in a study of the epistle of 1 John. We continue that today in the fourth chapter, that classic passage of scripture about love, beginning with verse 7 down to verse 21. I'll read it aloud for you from the scriptures. It'll be on the screens also in front of you. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John the Apostle, the writer of this epistle, along with Peter and James who were In the close association with Jesus, we see so often the scriptures referring to Peter, James, and John with Jesus. John, this disciple, this apostle, the scriptures say of him that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He had a special bond with Jesus. The only disciple who was present at Jesus' crucifixion. The one who Jesus looked down from the cross to and said, Take care of my mother. This same John, who would have insights from his conversations with Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry, this same John reminds us clearly today that the cornerstone of the gospel message, the cornerstone of the message that Jesus brought and preached is love. That theme is also echoed in other gospel writers and other apostles Matthew reminds us in his words of Jesus, Matthew 22, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13 reminds us, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. All the commandments are summed up in this sentence, love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Peter says, Love the brotherhood of believers and honor all people. James, the brother of Jesus, says in his letter, You do well when you keep the royal law of Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's clear that as John says from the beginning, the message has been love, and indeed it has. When you remember the world that God created, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, even when they chose against him and broke the only command they had been given, God did something that you and I would not have done. He kept on loving them. Indeed, he promised to send them a redeemer to save them from sin and death and the works of the devil. When humankind pursued sin with a vengeance, God's love still reached out and rescued a faithful remnant from an earth-destroying flood. God loved those patriarchs when they wandered away. He loved the groaning and griping children of Israel when they rebelled in the wilderness. And he had, after he had settled them into that promised land, he loved and remembered them when they regularly forgot him. Scripture does not exaggerate when it says God is love. And nowhere is the Lord's love seen more clearly and more completely in the ultimate gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us today in this audience are wondering, are doubtful that God loves us. Oh, maybe some of the circumstances of life Our relationships in life have caused us to feel that way about ourselves. But I'm here today to say to you, you're being deceived. I'm being deceived when we feel that way because I remind you that God loves you just as much as he loved all those throughout the annals of time from the beginning that we've alliterated here today. God loves you and as he has loved everyone since the dawn of time. This world that we live in seems to say that you're worthy of love if you're good-looking, if you're funny, if you have material possessions, if you give me what I want, if you make me feel good. That seemingly is what the world says constitutes love. Aristotle, so many years ago, said a man cannot expect love unless he is deserving of it, deserving of it, meriting it. But God comes along, and in the person of Jesus Christ, God calls us what? While we were yet sinners, he loved us, and he gave himself for us. That's the good news, the gospel. And God calls us today to accept and embrace that good news, that he loves us, and to share that good news with others, as Jesus did. Loving the unlovely, the lepers, the cripples, the social outcasts, the sinners, being other-oriented, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, bearing one another's burdens. We're reminded of that wonderful lofty passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude or self-seeking, not easily angered. keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. All the things that we see embodied in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just how did Jesus love? Take a look. Take a look. Jesus' love was not an investment that that he expected an immediate return on or an instantaneous appreciation of it. Jesus knew our frailty. And Jesus loved us in spite of our frailty. Jesus' love was a gift to us. A choice. When he was misunderstood, he loved. When he was rejected, he loved. When he was criticized, he loved. When he was threatened, he loved. When he was falsely accused, he loved. When he was arrested, beaten, crowned with thorns, whipped, nailed to a cross, he loved. He kept loving. Even on the cross, as he looked down through the pain, the pain, and the weight of the sins on his shoulders, he loved enough to forgive the people that put him on that cross, he loved enough to make provision for his mother and her care. How did Jesus love? He loved sacrificially, completely, consistently, totally. His love did not grow when crowds proclaimed him king and it did not diminish when they called for his crucifixion. His love didn't falter or fail, weaken when he was accused or abandoned. Nor did it intensify and increase when he was acclaimed and applauded. No, from his first breath until his last shout of victory on the cross, Jesus loved. He loved his friends, his enemies, and everyone in between. And this he did so that we might be brought to redemption, to faith, to the hope of heaven, to be saved from the enslavement of sin, To be given hope that this life is not all there is. John was right. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And now as Jesus instructed, the duty of God's redeemed people, of you and I, is to proclaim love. And to follow Jesus' example and reflect his love to others. There's a story that goes of a woman who had been in a dysfunctional relationship with her husband. And it got to the point where she just felt like she had to leave. So one day she packed up her bags to leave. And this husband, who'd been unaware really of the gravity of his actions, he was shocked and, 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 and after a few days... He frantically files a missing persons report. After a few weeks, the police found, located his wife who had left him. She was a few counties away. And they asked him, well, you know, do you want us to take you over there? It was during a time when transportation was harder. But the husband realized how poorly he had acted towards his wife, and he felt guilty about it. And so because of that, he decided that no, no, first what I'm going to do is I'm going to write to her. And so he began to write letters to her and she didn't respond and he kept sending the letters proclaiming his his sorrow and, and, and desire to change and his love for her. Finally, after several weeks, it came to the time of Christmas and he decided, I'm going to go. I'm going to see her. And he went to see her and as he found her, she was in a Rundown, dilapidated hotel, place she shouldn't have been. He begged for, her. he asked her to come home, and eventually she accepted and said, "I will come back. I will come back to you." And on the way home, as they rode along, he said to her these simple words: "I've, I've written you letters for so long, for so many months. Why now, when I come today?" Do you so readily accept and come home so easily? She simply looked at him and said this because those were just words, but this time you came in person and showed me an action. Christ came in person to save us and to show us his love, and he calls us today as the body of Christ to show his love to others, not just in our words but in our tangible actions. When I, truly take my, when I truly love someone, I take myself off the throne of my heart, myself off the throne of my heart, and I set Jesus there in charge of my life. And I ask him to help me to love people in the way he did and does. And the power of his spirit that John speaks of today in his text, is there to help us, and to empower us, and to allow us to do things that we didn't think we could do. God calls us to do this, but God not only calls us to do this, God commands us to do it. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. And implicit in that is the nature of the love that God gives to us, that agape love, That love that is not just feelings, not just sentiments, but it's an act of the intelligent will. It's a decision, a decision to love people. And that means love as a decision, as an act of the will, is no matter of just loving someone who I feel like is lovely, but loving someone that God calls me to love as he loved me and as a habit of life. Many in this world today are hostile to Christians and to the message of the gospel. We see it in our culture all the time, don't we? And in response to that, sometimes we want to lash out and argue and fuss and so forth. And I think God calls us to respond in love, in love, to show people through our actions, to show people through our demeanor to show people through our acts of service, selflessness, the love of Christ, the way that he showed people, and the magnetism that his life had because of the love that he showed. Today there are people with real physical and material needs all around us in our lives. If I know of a need, a legitimate physical or material need, and I close my heart to it, I close my heart to it and refuse, 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 and pride, to dig down and to give and to share and to help and try to make difference, then the question I ask myself is, how does the love of God live in me today? There are people around me today and you today that have emotional needs. There are people who are desperately lonely, who feel left out. They're going through a crisis in their life. And if I'm not willing to stop and to pause and to sacrifice a little bit of my time to listen, to encourage, to help, to lift up. I ask myself the question, how can the love of God be in me? Because to be a Christian is to share the love of God in the way that Jesus did, even if it means sacrificing my time, my possessions, indeed my life for the gospel because Jesus Gave us an example in laying down his all and his life for us. Yes, Jesus calls us to love, to love us in, way, in love in ways that can make a powerful difference. And you know, love can make a powerful difference in your personal life, in your family life. The love of God, the agape love that goodwill, that unselfishness that Jesus demonstrated and what he calls us to as Christians can make a powerful difference in the world. I close with a story that I heard of many years ago and, and I read of in a book by Corey ten Boom. You may have read her book. Corey ten Boom and her family resisted the Nazis in World War II by hiding Jews in their homes to keep them from the concentration camp. They were ultimately discovered and they themselves were sent to a concentration camp as punishment. Corey barely survived until the end of the war, but her family members either were killed or died in captivity. Seared by this terrible trial of fire, Corey's faith in God was tested, but it survived. And she spent much of her time in the post-war years traveling around Germany and Europe, sharing her faith and testimony of the gospel. On one occasion in 1947, Corrie was speaking in a church in Munich when she noticed in the back of the room a balding man in a gray overcoat near the back. She had been speaking on the subject of God's love and God's forgiveness and the breadth of God's love and forgiveness. But at that moment, her heart froze as she looked at that man and looked at those eyes. She could picture him from many, many times before in that concentration camp when he was wearing that blue Nazi uniform with his visored cap, doing cruel deeds along with the other guards at the Robinsbrook Brook camp where she had suffered and her family had died. Yet there this man was in that room. At the end of her message, coming up the aisle with his hand extended, saying with a smile, thank you, thank you for that wonderful, fine message. How wonderful it is to know that God loves us and that all our sins can be forgiven And cast to the bottom of the sea? Corey had said that in her message. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness, but here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She could not take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man did not remember her. How could he remember one prisoner? Among thousands. The man continued saying, You mentioned Robinsbrook. I was a guard there, and I, I'm so ashamed of what I did and so grieved to admit it, but it's true, all those things. But since then, someone has told me of God's love and told me of God's forgiveness, and I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I've done. But I know now that God has forgiven me. And please, please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips too those words that God has forgiven me. And then Corey recorded these words in her book. She said this, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that the man stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing began to take place. The current like electricity started in my shoulder raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes as I said, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart and love. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. Yet I had never known God's love so intensely As I did in that moment. The love of God can change things. The love of God can change situations through the power of the Holy Spirit that we think are impossible. Impossible becomes possible through God and His love. And today He calls you and I to show His love to those around us, to be aware of the love He's shown us, and in humility, and gratitude to God and appreciation for our lost estate and the wonder of what God has done for us. He calls us to turn to those around us and to lob and to share and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we do that, when we do that, little by little, one by one, this world can be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Today, today we come to a time when we're going to offer a time of decision, a time of dedication, a time that says, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, well, He loves you just as much as He loved anybody who's ever lived. He loves you, regardless of where you've come from, what you've done. He loves you. And today He stands with open arms, with an open hand waiting to grasp your hand and invite you into his family, invite you into the warmth and the love and the fellowship and the hope of heaven. That invitation is to you today. And maybe you're here today and you already know the Lord Jesus Christ.